and welcome to the Feeling Good Podcast, where you can learn powerful techniques to change the way you feel. I am your host, Rhonda Borowski, and joining me here in the Murrieta studio is Dr. David Burns. Dr. David Burns is a pioneer in the development of cognitive behavioral therapy and the creator of the new teen therapy. He is the author of Feeling Good, which has sold over 5 million copies in the United States and has been translated into over 30 languages. David is currently an emeritus adjunct professor of clinical psychiatry at Stanford University School of Medicine. Hello, Rhonda. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, David. So welcome everyone to episode 155. And today we have two very special guests, Lorraine Wong, who in addition to being a teen therapist extraordinaire, she's also a, <laughs> a board certified clinical psychologist, which is an incredibly difficult test to pass. We're really proud of her. Thank you. And we also have one of her patients who we're calling Anna. And Anna's here to talk to us about what it's like to, um, the, to be a part of the team experience from the patient's perspective. We're really excited about that. Mm -hmm. And Rhonda is going to get us started on 155 with just a question. We've had a number of questions on self-image, body image, weight loss, things like this. And this is the therapist who's stuck with the patient is going to ask us why she's stuck with this patient. And then Lorraine is going to give us a brilliant answer. Yes. So this person writes, I am a public image consultant. I am learning Team CBT and implementing your techniques to help my clients change or improve their self-perception. And in most cases, they have been very effective. I'm grateful to you, very grateful, and I join your fan list. My question is, what would be the best method to change people's self-image? How can you help people change the idea that they are fat? For example, I have a patient who cannot beat the thought, I am fat. We've tried examining the evidence, and he has found 20 people see him as thin. I've tried defining terms, and, and he has concluded that he's not fat. Yet he tells me he knows he's not fat, but he can't stop thinking, I am fat. So I would like your help to overcome my patient's thought. So um, Lorraine will now give us a brilliant and correct diagnostic <laughs> assessment of the rather obvious uh, and common error this therapist is making, and I think it's great to have a question so we can highlight this error because it's the most common error in all of psychiatry and psychology, and it's the cause of virtually all therapeutic failure. Absolutely. And before I started with TEAM, um, I think I would have made the same error. I just, I appreciate how much um, the image consultant wants to help this person. It sounds horrible to have that thought going around in your head, but before we run in and try to help, we've got to take a step back and start with some testing and some empathy so the person does feel heard and understood. Um, and then, of course, we want to move into agenda setting and find out maybe there are some beautiful things about having that, that thought, or maybe it's helping them in some way. And by the way, it is helping this person to, to say, I am fat. What is the enormous uh, benefit to him in giving himself that message? Well, I think there's a ton of them. But the first one, I think, is they could eat whatever they, whatever they want if they have that thought. I'm thinking the, the, when you do paradoxical agenda setting, you never do a negative thing like that. Uh, but it's always positives that, that I think are most helpful to, to, the, to the patient. And what I'm thinking is the exact opposite. It, it, if this person was one, a fellow who had lost weight or hasn't gained weight, may, maybe that's the secret of his success. 
to tell himself that he's fat and to be worrying and obsessing about it and that like this is his to total body com right. commitment type type of thing. So uh, it motivates that yeah, to stay prepared. I yeah. was thinking more of it from a process resistance perspective. Sure, but that, yeah. that's important too, absolutely. Uh, but it sounds like he's then, he's, he's doing yeah. well, but he, 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 he has this he has this thought. I can remember a, a fellow that I was treating who had just graduated from some top MBA program in New York, and everyone was after him for jobs. And he had also been in the most popular band in Israel before, before moving to New, New York. So they would be playing for 10, 20,000 yeah. cheering fans and like, you know, he was a you know featured person in this band, and then he was telling me that, that he was very anxious that that he's never accomplished anything meaningful in life, and, and just just like this guy yeah. who's saying I'm I'm fat, and uh, and he was very kind of stubborn about it, but he really liked me. There was no you know he was giving me perfect empathy scores, and and then. I suddenly stopped because I was beating my head against the wall, examine the evidence didn't, didn't work. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, the guy was a star. Mm -hmm. And and then I, I said, well, you know, maybe uh, this isn't such a good idea to, uh, to challenge this mm -hmm. thought that you're kind of a failure and you've never accomplished anything in life. Let's list all the advantages mm -hmm. and the benefits and what it shows about you that's positive and awesome and yeah. shows that he's humble. Yeah. It shows he has high standards. Yeah. It's motivated him to accomplish all these things. So he made this big list. Yeah. I mean, this is old news to you. But then at the bottom, I said, well, gosh, I see now maybe mm -hmm. this isn't, whether it's true or not, it's kind of irrelevant. Maybe this is something we shouldn't be working yeah. on. Mm -hmm. And then he said, wait, wait a minute. No, 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 no. I, I, I'm ready now to challenge that yeah. thought. And then it was real easy. And he crushed it like like that. But if you don't bring out those motivational components, whatever area you're working, you try to push methods on, on a patient without that warm connection, without yeah. bringing to conscious awareness all the really good reasons that right. we give ourselves these these negative messages. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you don't do that, you're going to get stuck an awful lot like this. And you get frustrated and the patient will get ticked off too. Absolutely. And if you learn how to do it, it makes any form of therapy just my experience about 10 times easier and more effective, really, really which you does. know so well yeah. and you know so well. Yeah. It's a huge part that you've got to uncover before you move forward. In fact, for some clients, that in itself has done most of the work. And I've seen that with hopelessness yeah. the most, which yeah. is really fascinating. Oh, like yeah. Finally, I can see like the light bulb go off for some reason, like with hopelessness. You might spend a little time on it and be thorough, but it is really, really therapeutic in itself as, yep. you know, the start of therapy. Well, we got to get to you two folks and the wonderful work you've been doing. But the first person who made me notice that was uh, Vicki Trockel, my former student, now a, uh -huh. a, a professor at Stanford mm -hmm. in the medical school in the Department of Psychiatry. But I used to think of paradoxical agenda setting as softening the patient up to mm -hmm. make them receptive to the methods. You did? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So the patient wouldn't be fighting. Right, right. Make them re receptive, and that's how it does it function. Does work. But then Mickey Trockel once said, "Well, maybe there's actually a mood elevation just yeah. from paradoxical agenda setting and positive reframing." And yeah. I said, "You know, he he he's right about that. Yeah, it has potent antidepressant it effects. It's really cool." Well, on to you, folks. All right, so mm. Anna. 
is here, and Anna has been your patient, Lorraine, and we want to hear from you, Anna. You know, what brought you to therapy, what brought you to team therapy, and what brought you to Lorraine Warren? All right. Well, fairly straightforward. Um, I've been, I've had depression in the past, and I had uh, treatment for depression, CBT. And while the treatment was effective, it took a really long time. And to put it sort of mildly, I thought my therapist had the empathy of a prison guard. Um, and I was, love hearing you say that. <laughs> well, you know, we, we worked on a lot of methods. I'm the type of person that likes to get in there and do work. I don't want to just sit and talk and whatever. So I want to be part of my treatment. A lot of methods. It worked to a certain degree over time and, you know, was, was ultimately successful. It took a little bit of a long time. I came back to the States after being overseas for about 13 years, and I found myself in an icky work situation, really kind of toxic. I was a little shell-shocked about returning to the U.S., and I found myself in a state of being quite depressed and anxious, which is what um, brought me to, to seeking therapy. Now, recognizing that CBT had worked for me in the past, um, I was interested in looking at some element of CBT. I was also feeling like um, I was really stuck, okay? And it was this, just this feeling of not only the depression, anxiety, but just being really, really stuck. And um, was looking at a bunch of options for therapy, and I came across the, the Feel Good Institute and saw that they did CBT. Mm -hmm. um, and so they did this thing called Team CBT. So I'm like, okay, what's Team CBT? And it looks a little bit like CBT on steroids. Um, and That's a good way of putting it. I'm so glad to hear you say that. I've been thinking that for years, but I've been thinking, I, I don't want to say that in public because it sounds so crass, but that's what it really is. It totally it's like, is. I tell my patients that on yeah, call. It's, yeah. it's CBT on steroids. Yeah. Yeah. And it looked like it was going to basically address the issues that I had with the past. I was hoping anyway with the empathy bit. Mm -hmm. And... In looking at the different, you know, therapists, I came across Lorraine's mm -hmm. website and uh, on on the on the the team CBT page, and it was like there was something that she wrote, and she helps patients get unstuck, and it was those things that just was like I want to work with this person. Cool. So we basically set up a phone call to suss each other out, and then we've been working together yeah. pretty much ever since. Yeah. Rin, do you want to say a little bit about what your work has been like? Sure. It's, um, it's really been incredibly rewarding, I would say. I think Anna is um, highly motivated. So when we, we, we kind of broke down the things that we wanted to work on. Um, and um, from a Team CB2 perspective, Anna understood, you know, it's, it's something that you, you're not going to get cured without putting the work in yourself. Um, so you have to be willing to look at your role or whatever your problems are um, and be willing to engage in therapy. And um, I think the first thing that we worked on was really a little bit of kind of feeling stuck, which we decided was depression. Mm -hmm. um, we, we worked on just feeling depressed and, and just the way you would do any other problem. We started with testing, which was really important. Um, and, and that is why we chose to work on the depression at first, because your depressive scores were much higher yep. than the anxiety scores. And also your positive feeling scores, from my recollection, were pretty low. And I think yeah. those two things highly overlap. Um, and I can go on and on, but we started with testing and then moved into agenda setting. And 
worked on all of the beautiful things that your depression said about you. In fact, there was some loss involved as well of, you know, coming back from overseas and starting over. Um, and then we moved on to methods. I don't know how much detail yeah, I know. What, we can... what, I think it's really interesting to hear. What, what do you think, or what were some of the beautiful things that your depression said about you? I think uh, a number of things, actually. It was kind of, it showed that I cared. So I think a lot of what I was experiencing at the time um, was, while it was toxic, it just being able to recognize that I was depressed because I cared about what I do and I cared about the people that I work with and I care about, um, you know, the people that, that surround me. So wanting to see a little bit of a better, I guess, a better overall experience for everybody is a little bit what that, that showed is I, I care. Um, and just recognizing that there is a beauty to have that degree of empathy. Mm -hmm. Um, for me, the tricky point was learning on where to, where to set the boundaries for, for empathy mm -hmm. and not getting necessarily absorbed with everyone else's toxicity and creating the space and actually having the, um, the courage and the esteem to set my own boundaries around that. I think I'd always also been a people pleaser. So, um, you know, that was also sort of sucking me into a little bit of, of feeling kind of yucky. You know, a lot of people, when, when I talk about, especially with a brand new patient, and I say, well, what does your depression say about you? That's really beautiful. They think, well, what, a, what are you talking about? That's so crazy. And it's such a difficult process to understand and go through. What, what was that like for you when Lorraine first brought that up? Like, what does your depression say about you? That's great. Did, no, could first you I thought she was on crack, man. I'm like, dude, why do you think I'm here? Is this what we got? But then she's like, no. Um, it was it was really, for me, that was the thing that really um, I, I've enjoyed about our therapy sessions is probing. And the part about being Stand over here, otherwise you'll, it'll soften when you talk, talk, talk to them. We're just switching a microphone here. We're okay. Beautiful. Carry on. I think um, for me, that was one of the things that um, I've really liked having being challenged because I think what I was feeling and how I was always feeling stuck is like throughout the, the past CBT, for example, we never really got down to what motivation, why I might not want to change. Okay, so for me, at first I was like, okay, Lorraine, put the crack pipe away. Why would anyone want to be depressed? <laughs> really? Come on. But then I thought about it. And I'm like, well, it, there, are, there are benefits, mm -hmm. you know, and then working through and doing cost-benefit analysis and, and really questioning that to help me want to do the work more. So okay. for me... Can I say something yeah. about it? I, is it okay if I turn? Of I just remember. It's so funny how I can vividly. I mean, when you think about the sessions, how you can remember. Um, I remember your facial expressions when we first talked about. Well, what? Why is it beautiful to still feel sad? And I think the first thing we talked about, Anna, was loss and and the reality. Yeah. That your life was different now, and you had left some place that you had been for thirteen years, and. You felt bad about feeling that sadness. You were, hang, you were hung up on that. Yeah. And you, your whole body kind of just was like, yeah, it's okay to feel sad. That's yeah. natural and normal in the reality that life is going to change. I think you also felt some anger. A little bit. Just a little bit. Yes. <laughs> um, so I think that was p pretty pivotal for you when we explored how that anger served you. Yeah. And that was something that was really surprising to me. I learned that the anger was motivating for me. Not that I want to stay angry all the time, but it forces me into action. Right. So. 
and you were judging yourself for being angry, which was making you sad. So, you know, there was a loop. So we looked at each emotion individually before we were able to move forward. And I really could see her kind of not melting. I don't mean to sound like, you know, hokey, but really seeing the weight come off. And I'm not saying that because this is a weight loss meeting, <laughs> but really just but the kind of the softening. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like you were talking about, it was, it was, it was amazing. Yeah. It was really, really It cool. is amazing when, when that happens. Uh, it's, it's, it's like a miracle. We, we had one on the hike and I won't give any details, but there was a fellow on the hike, an amazing guy mm-hmm. who's been feeling resentment toward, toward a, a group of, high-powered people, okay, and uh, he's been carrying it for a good six or eight years, mm-hmm. and and he meets with these people all the time, and they, they kind of rebuffed him early in his career, mm-hmm. and, uh, and it caused him to be separated from his wife for five years because he had to get his training yeah. elsewhere. Oh, wow. Uh, and then he he went and got his training. He's now probably the top person in the world. Wow! But he he interacts with these people who had rejected him years earlier, and he feels res- resentment. Yeah. And and he wanted help getting rid of the resentment, and yeah. he was ashamed of his resentment. And I finally persuaded him to be proud of his resentment. Yeah. B- b- because it showed how, how much he loves his wife. Exactly. Yes. And if he wasn't resentful, it's like, oh, yeah, I don't care. I'll have lose yeah. five years with my beloved wife. No problem. And the moment he accepted his resentment, it disappeared. It was like a miracle. The it's, moment he became proud of his resentment, it, 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 the problem disappeared. It sounds like you had that similar thing, different details. But yeah, same. different. It's almost like it's a tenderizer for getting to the work. Yeah. 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 And the, what so, was that like for you? How did you experience that? It was really, it was cool, actually. And it was cool because it was so unexpected. Yeah. Okay. So it's first about um, challenging what you believe to be something bad, quote unquote bad, realizing there may be something that's actually serving you, letting it go, and then you feel free. And yeah. it's like, and it's, it's, it's amazing. And, and how does that connect with the hopelessness? Because when you're hopeless, you're certain there's some inevitability about yeah. your badness, your suffering. Yeah, it's going to go on forever. Yeah. You're doomed. You're screwed. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that makes that freedom thing must make it even more mind-blowing for you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that is, I love hearing that. And yeah. I've seen that. A, and you've and seen a, that. Yes. And I wish we could get every therapist in the in the country, every therapist in the world, seeing that. Because when we say things like this, they goes in one ear and out the other. They don't quite believe how fantastic what we're saying is. Well, I think part of it is also that it's not an all or nothing, and that is what's so powerful. At least yeah. that I've seen with a lot of my clients, particularly you. It's not like you have to get rid of it completely. Yeah. Because here we are talking about yeah. how amazing it is, and so it really honors you as a person in some way. Yeah. Whether it's sadness or resentment or anger, I can think of a lot of things yeah. we've covered with you. So I know I'm talking about a lot of different emotions, but it's not like you just have to give it away, and you don't even want to. Yeah. You can. Obviously, with the dial. That's right. Yeah, you, you dial know. it down, and we're going to hang on to yeah. some of the depression and the resentment and the anger and the hopelessness. And then, then now we've made a deal with the subconscious mind. Yes. 
And then suddenly you let go and you get working and then you often blow it away completely after all. But yes, that's, really beautiful. that's all right. It's helped me so much, too. Like, I used to be so ashamed of my shoplifting. Yeah. The serial killing I used to do. <laughs> I think it also... It also yeah. now, now I understand so much, Lorraine. I, I, I told her, Anna, that you have quite a sense of humor. What, 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 what did my shoplifting show about me? It's, I'm, I'm, I like to save money. That's a good yeah, thing. Like, I love merchandise. Yeah. It's kind of like a honoring America and free enterprise. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry for being goofy. You know? We love goofiness. Lorraine, were you about to say something else? I was going to say the other thing that um, was really interesting, too, is recognizing that you don't have to completely lose something yeah. helps with the whole relapse refractory bit of it too. Yeah. Realizing that you're not going to, just because you're sad doesn't mean you're going to go down the rabbit hole. Yeah. you're okay. Yeah. It's, so, you're permitted to have two yeah. bad days per week yeah. and five happy days. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> only you get to if that you, three, three bad days. Yeah. And, you know. yeah, that's right. You need a tune-up if you yeah. have three bad days, but you also need a tune-up if you have six happy days because we might have to put you on lithium because you're getting too <laughs> high. <laughs> but it makes it easier. that We yeah. don't have to be happy all the time. Yeah. And just yesterday, um, we yeah. did actually have a little relapse, mm -hmm. and um, we nipped it in the butt in less than yeah. 40 minutes, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. We had more time just to sit and talk. Well, we yeah, it was really so cool. So it does, it moves pretty quickly. That's great to hear. And then, Anna, so once this, this like, miracle happened where you, you made friends with your depression and, you know, accepted what you, what you needed to keep the good part of your deception depression yep. and eliminated the amount that caused you pain and suffering. Mm -hmm. um, were there methods that worked with you? And Yeah, I've got, you know, we joke, okay, Lorraine and I, or I, I shock Lorraine with, you know, that Paul Simon song, 50 Ways to Lose Your Lover. Did, didn't he just have a concert up in Oakland? I he did. Know, did. My he? son went to it. <laughs> really? Yeah, it cost yep. him $189 to get a ticket. He was wandering around in front of the stadium, and he finally scored a ticket. That's he said awesome. it was the greatest uh, concert he's ever been to. It's great, yeah. yeah. So I think some of the favorite ones of the 50 ways to lose your lover that I like are externalization of voices. It always yeah. helps when you actually hear it out loud and you're like, oh my God, it sounds so dumb. Yeah. Okay. Or, you know, just trying to put that on the spot. Um, I love the five secrets. Yeah. I've been able to use that successfully bulk at work and in my personal life and love it. Works like a Thank treat. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I love that. hearing that. Yep. Um, I like the... It's helped me too. Tell us more about, more about 50 secret, uh, 50, five methods. The secret methods. The, the secret <laughs> methods. Secrets. Well, I was, I was having... A, Sometimes, you know, at work, you just want a little little help or a little something. And we're working really, really hard. And sometimes it's little things that make people's lives better. And I just wanted a coffee. And this person was really like, not a really, it's not that they're mean. It's just that they didn't really want to help. So I used the old, you know, disarming and little empathy and little reasoning with them and got them to actually, when they saw me working late one night, they brought me a coffee. Oh, nice. I think it was more, though, about the relationship with the person. Yeah. We're using the example of the coffee, but from my recollection, it was really about building a better relationship with, with that person. person and you being able to connect with them so you could express your needs and wants. So yeah. she's, I think the coffee is an example, example. of... Yeah. 
not necessarily the person bringing you a coffee, but more about having a coffee and connecting with that the person. person. Yeah. Being able to use those five, six, and the disarm was the big thing. Yeah. Because that, that was because the, yeah. Otherwise it was like a immediate. What did you have to disarm? What did he or she say to you? <sighs> Why do you always need this? Blah, 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 blah. It just was, you know, sometimes you just want somebody to see that you need something and bring it to you. Yeah. And you know, the, the disarming of, hey, I know, you know, I know we have a good relationship. We really, you know, I, I value, you know, you as a friend, um, really interested in, um, you know, talking to you about some things that sometimes, sometimes I need. So sometimes when you do X, I feel Y. And, you know, what I would really love is if you could sometimes just spontaneously do this for me. And that would be Great. Instead of having the, why the hell don't you bring me coffee? Can't you see I'm working yeah. really hard? And what's wrong with you? Yeah. It was just a totally different way sure. of, of having that. So kind of I feel statements was. Well, I feel, but the, the disarms came in more, I think, when you were working more with um, people who, I don't want to give away too much information, yeah, go but ahead. Yeah. might have, um, you know, have said things like you're not doing this quick enough or this isn't good enough yeah. or things like that. And you just learn to say, yeah, you know, you're, you're right. right. And what would really help me is this. And they were like, oh, okay. Like, so you combined five secrets and disarming with the technique we call be specific. Yep. Where you're asking specifically for what you want. Yep. Yep. It sounds like, how did that work for you? I was shocked. At, I was shocked. It worked. I'm like, Lorraine, it worked. <laughs> And it was easy. You know, I was worried about it, and it was actually quite well, easy. And, and what was the beast? Was I didn't get quite what it was. The yeah, person criticizes you, and you accept it, and then and then ask for what specifically did I do wrong, or something like that. Is, yes, is that what you're saying? Yeah, you know, I'm acting, act, asking for a specific action. She, that's what you were saying. Well, I hadn't taught her that method to be specific about asking for something. I, but that was something you had. Uh, well, yeah, yeah I like. I'm like. I didn't know I was teaching that. <laughs> but I do remember working a lot on disarming yep. because that's a hard one for people to do, whether it's in a work environment or in a personal home, environment, yeah. even at home. Yeah. Just saying, you're right. Yeah, makes yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah. Especially when there's anger or resentment. Yes, Anna. Indeed. <laughs> do you want to speak at all to that, or even you know, with your tennis players or? <sighs> Yeah, 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 yes. Sorry, um, I play com competitive sports, and sometimes I get a little pissed off, a little pissed off at some of my 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 players when they they start acting up. And I found, do, what do they do when they act up? Oh, they start to dictate how things should be and shouldn't be, and it really kind of annoys me a little bit. Oh. They're trying to change the way I play so that they can win. Okay. <laughs> Oh. basically. And it was funny. And I realized that, you know, this person's probably just upset because they're not winning. Winning is clearly important to them. And the disarming came in with this particular individual where I basically sat down with him, you know, after we were playing one day and said, hey, you know, you've gotten really good. And it seems that your your game has really picked up. I love your serves. Can you show me a little bit how you do that? And then he went on and was telling me about it. He kind of chilled out a little bit. And I'm like, hey, I really like playing with you. You know, what do you think I could do better? And he gave me some tips. And I'm like, oh, that's really awesome. You know, and I think that maybe 
when, you know, what did you think about the other day when we were playing together? He's like, oh, yeah, I got really pissed off because you kept slamming me. And I'm like, oh, you know, I, I get that. Yeah. And I said, and, you know, sometimes I, I do play a little bit too aggressive. And <laughs> that's, 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 and he's like, yeah, but it's, you know, what makes you really good in playing. Yeah. So just, again, trying to not be so you know, why are you trying to tell me how to play um, versus, yeah. you know, let's actually meet in the middle ground. Power and, through surrender. Yeah. Finding and, a grain of truth. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We, one of the ideas of, of team, and it's hard lesson for all of us to learn in the interpersonal models, we create our own interpersonal reality and we kind of create the enemies we resent so yeah. much. And we're not aware that we're, we're doing that. Yeah. And then when you take a radically uh, different approach to, to someone, uh, come in from a completely different angle with with humility and warmth and admiration, and they 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 suddenly suddenly open up. Uh, and I was uh, well, I'm having a story, but I've had experiences like that myself, interacting actually with violent people, mm. uh, and uh, and in a warm and humble and admiring way, and suddenly seeing them instantly yeah, melt and yeah. want to give me things and help me and. Yep. And it's it, and it, that's one of the hardest things for us to bring about in therapy because the resistance is so intense. Mm -hmm. Not wanting to get close to someone you're ticked off at. You think? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bring them to the fire. We had to do a lot of. <laughs> I had we, had a, we had to practice. That. Yeah. Right, and, and also not not wanting to 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 change yourself. Yeah. To to pinpoint. Feel like you're compromising. In yeah, some, yeah, you know, yeah. Or or just. Why should be, I? Quote unquote, being nice. Yeah, so yeah. And they're the blame. Yeah. It's their, their fault. Yeah. Why should why should I have to change? Yeah. So it it's it's hard, really hard to do, isn't it? Yeah. In fact, I call that the death of one of the four deaths of the self, the great deaths, yep. because it really is a death. It is the death yeah. of of yourself. The interpersonal death, I think, is the hardest of the four great yeah. deaths. For me, it is. Mm -hmm. it's just, yeah. Uh, so I think for me it is too. I think for most of my clients it is because it's empowering. If we we're right. Yeah. I'm talking about my personal relationship. If we're right, yeah. then it feels good. Yeah. yeah. You know, but it also really... feels crappy, and you're also powerless when you're trying to be powerful. Yes, yeah. it does. Yeah. And then when you become pow truly powerless, you become powerful. Yeah. So, yeah. like paradoxes. Yeah. Yep. It's really, that's life changing. Listen, I want to get onto yeah. this lifestyle stuff you guys have been talking about that linked in with our opening question. Yeah. Okay, so on you know self-image and eating stuff and lifestyle stuff. So Anna, how did your therapy take you to that journey? I think part of it was again sort of circling back to the concept of self-esteem. It's the gift that keeps on giving and never <laughs> never goes away. Um, and I was having some difficulties because I had gained a lot of weight since moving back to the States. And um, just starting to feel like I had a little bit of an unhealthy relationship with food, whether it's labeling foods as good or bad, um, having to stick to some sort of crazy diet, um, or having some strange eating, <laughs> strange eating things that I had to deal with. So... I told Elaine, I, there are a couple of foods that I absolutely adore. And it's salami, ice cream, and rice and beans. And let me write that down. Salami, salami ice cream, rice and beans. Mm -hmm. And I would be, you know, quote unquote, trying to lose some weight. 
on a diet. I'd go to the grocery store and I'd be like, oh, there's the salami case. <laughs> and, you know, buy myself that wonderful Genoa salami. It wouldn't make it home. Like salami. I inhaled this thing. On, I don't know. Don't ask me why the salami, but. Would you call it emotional eating? You Emotional, all sorts of thing. I mean, I can show you all of our little, you know. Um, habit addiction logs on the mm -hmm. salami and the rice and beans and, and the ice cream in terms of understanding, you know, the euphoria of, oh my God, I'm yeah. have some salami. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's all whisper it together. Yeah. Let's count to three. Salami. One, two, three. Salami. Yes, oh my God. So, but it was just, you know, as a result, I'd like go through these crazy binges where it was either that or, you know, forget the little, you know, two scoops of ice cream, forget the pint. Let's go straight for that quart of Hagen dazs coffee. One sitting, that's one serving, right? Yeah. The yeah, whole yeah. thing. <laughs> so just, you know, just sort of dealing a lot with some of the unhealthy relationships I had with food. And I think part of the stuff that we did, we did a lot of habit addiction logs where I had to, you know, I'm feeling like I'm going to eat the whole thing of rice and beans. Let's talk about my feelings and what I'm thinking. Okay, just to, to understand what was happening in the moment. The tempting and, thoughts. Yeah, yeah, all of my tempting thoughts. And it was kind of like, yeah. I feel like some sort of addict, man. The salami addict. Um, it was really kind of hilarious, actually. <laughs> Although at the time, it's not when people are really going through this. I know. It can be humbling and embarrassing. Yeah. People like I binging like, or salami. You know, really? it's, it's, it's hard to talk about. It's hard to talk about. Yeah, and I just think it was funny. And I think it was, um, so going from the, the habit addiction log into the paradoxical CBA. Well, we started with paradox. We started with agenda setting. We always yeah. start with that. Yep. Yeah. But we keep, yeah, I felt like I kept going back and understanding it more. The resistance piece. Yes, the resistance piece in terms of why, what is it that I don't want to give up the salami? If it makes me feel so shitty, sorry, bad. Um, if it makes me feel so bad, why do I keep wanting to eat it? Yeah. And maybe I don't have to, so we've got to the point where I don't have to give up my salami. I just don't have to eat the whole pack on the way home. Yeah. Now it lasts sometimes three or four days. Mm. You know, and just, again, trying to get at some of, and, and not making, I think the, the problem I was also having is it was becoming a bad food. Mm -hmm. And it's like the, the worse something is, the more you want it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Burns rule is people only want what they can't get, and we never want what we can get. Yeah. <laughs> it rules the universe. Yeah. Even <laughs> protons and electrons are even following that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we, we did a little bit of that with um, some of my, my, my food fun. We also worked on, you know, and something that resonated with me with that, that person who was feeling like they're fat and, you know, just working through, again, looking at taking your behaviors and looking at what, what is it serving? Mm -hmm. Because I think we're always so tempted to go, oh, you have to give up. It's an all or nothing. It's binary. You yeah. Know? Right. And it doesn't have to be, mm -hmm. but you have to figure out what it is that you want to keep about that and what it is you want to get rid of. And mm -hmm. that creates the clarity in the mind so that you can actually then, you know, action what you want in yeah. your behaviors. What was it about, it's, it sounds like your work with Lorraine was really kind of 
several really phenomenal things on, on multiple levels, yeah. depression, mm -hmm. relationships, ha habits, and addictions. What was it about Lorraine that you that you liked working with, and you know, what, what do you see in her that's warm or magical or effective or what 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 because you said you worked with another cognitive therapist with the uh, empathy of a prison warden yeah i love that and uh how, how was uh, what was it like working with lorraine what was it like it's fabulous actually it's like somebody who gets me mm -hmm. and um Somebody, and I'm not, you know, I'm also not looking for someone to enable me. So it's not like, oh, yes, please let me cry on the couch. She understands what, what I'm about and what, what she just seems to get whatever problem I have. Mm. Um, I like the ability to provide feedback. So we do these little oh, things yeah. before and after. So, you know, if there's anything, I've never actually had to say anything, but it's, there's that option that with the prison guard, I would have loved to say, please have a soul. Yeah. Um, love the methods, but I need a person too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, so I think working with Elaine, Elaine, with Lorraine, she gets me. Um, she's got a tool for every, she, she helps keep me focused on what we want to work on. So yeah. what, you know, very specific, very... What are we going to work on? What's going to right. be the most helpful? And she's always got like this magic kit of tools that she just whips <laughs> out and she's, and they work. But yeah, I that's ask you another question. Yeah. So you, you did testing before and after each, each session mm -hmm. with Lorraine. Did you ever give her a empathy score that was less than 20 or tell her what you didn't like about the session? I would love to be in that position, but there hasn't been a session that I didn't like. And who have I always asked you? I'll always. Yeah. What am I missing? Why are you yeah. not? You know, I think I've even checked in with yeah. you, you know, from time to time. Yeah. It's the best thing to be able to check in. And yeah, you just kind you of put a perfect score. Are you sure I was getting it? Yeah. I, you know, sometimes I've even questioned, like, in that last session, maybe I didn't understand something right. So No, and I always laugh. I'm like, yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. <laughs> but we always check in but, with but, yeah. but that all also takes courage on the part of the therapist. Like you're getting yeah. perfect scores all the time, but I don't get perfect scores all the time. And I have that's another ego death for the therapist is is that like we were talking about it earlier, like when when, when you miss the boat, yeah, then you're gonna find out right away because you're doing testing mm -hmm. and you'll see that failing score on empathy or helpfulness and it's painful painful yeah. every time yeah. yeah but i am able to leave the ego at the door yeah which yeah. is really neat because i have to remind myself this is something that's going to help me get closer with my client yeah. No, it's it's not it's this you can't overgeneralize when we don't get a perfect score right? yeah. yeah and it can be an, really an avenue for for getting much closer i i was working with a fellow recently and uh, it was it was awkward and I knew I was kind of missing the boat and, and he, he gave me kind of a feeling great on empathy and, and then next time I talked to him I, I think I told you this but I, I, I said you know I had a kind of sleepless night because I I realized that I've been failing you and you know I really like you but I I don't Tell you the truth, I, yeah. it's hard for me to connect with you, and I, there's tension in, in in our relationship. And uh, and then and then he says, "I respect you so much for what you just said." He says, "I thought you were maybe a little too slick, and I've been treated by a lot of charlatans." 
And, and, and then wow. he started crying and, and he said, I am so lonely. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it was just, we've just had the yeah. tremendous relationship. But, you know, it was, it was painful because I really was fa- failing mm-hmm. him. And yet failing him was, was, was the best thing. Like if the, you check your ego yeah, at, at, yeah. at the door, but it's hard to do that because we, we take pride in, in ourselves and in our work. And, and, and when you use the assessment tools, that you're, you're just showing your failures brutally yeah. and directly and clearly. Yeah, I'll even say to clients, and I just failed yesterday. It's another good example and have really thought about how I'm going to talk to the client about it next yeah. week. And I same like you. It's not like I lost sleep all night, but it's been on my mind. Yeah, it's it's pain, it hurts. Yeah, it does hurt. But I don't ever want my client, I want them to understand that they don't have to take care of my feelings. That's right. It's yeah. It has to be me. done skillfully. Yeah, it's really not about me. Yeah. It's about our relationship and what That's did I right. miss. And I love that. What can I learn from this that I can help understand better what was going That's on? That's what we're going to do in the Tuesday group tonight. Really? Changing the focus and how your worst therapeutic failures, your greatest success in disguise, and how to process that with your oh. with your patient in, in a way that will enhance the, 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 the therapeutic re- relationship. The, the closeness after that is so different. When, yeah. Like you had with your client, the difference that you have once you let that go or once you're able to connect with that person and they feel comfortable sharing that with you, I think is the important piece. Yeah. David, it's, you look like you're going to ask. I have a question for you, Anna. The, you've had some uh, tremendous experiences. And of course, none of us are enlightened permanently. We drift in and out of enlightenment all the time. But uh, do you have any messages for people who are listening to the podcast, things that, that you'd like to convey? I know we haven't talked about your illustrious background, but, uh, you know, PhD in psychopharmacology and from the top graduate program is kind of mind-blowing. Uh, for, for whatever that's, that's worth, we were joking earlier, but that's, that's real science. They say the uh, smart ones get PhDs and the rest go to medical school. <laughs> I went to really? medical school. Real <laughs> <laughs> <Girl> doctors. <laughs> uh, no, just kidding. <laughs> uh, no, I think for me, I think for me, the hardest thing is taking the first step to get help. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's ironic that I actually did my study in this field and I put off getting help for so long. Yeah. And, and for, why was that? Um, stigma, Hope. shame, hopelessness. hopelessness. You know, just, you know, it got to a point where I just couldn't, I just needed to do it. But I think in retrospect, it's the, it's kind of like the hardest thing and the best thing to pick up that phone and make that call. Yeah. The other thing is finding finding a therapist that works for you. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I joke about the poor prison guard, okay? But I reckon she she probably thought she was being really empathetic. That's the worst part about you it. You know, yeah. and, and it was like... She thought she was the cat's pajamas. Yeah, yeah I mean, she probably yeah. did. So I think the, the, the thing is making sure you have a right fit. Yeah. You know, I think you know, Lorraine and I are very, you know, I like to think that we're very open and we do check in all the time in terms of, hey, is this working? Is this not working? You're fidgeting, something wrong. And I say, oh, feels a little weird. And so it's, it's, it's about having that right fit and don't be afraid to advocate for yourself to get that. I had tried a couple of other therapists before I landed on Lorraine. I mean, one, I just like kept running. I'm like, ooh, get me out of here. It didn't, 
feel right. I'm, so, very, I'm very disturbed by the, the, the poor quality of the therapy in the United States and, and the world. Mm-hmm. And, I th- and when I, I train in some way or other many, many ther- therapists, and uh, it, it, some, you know, like Lorraine and not Rhonda so much, but some have really done <laughs> yeah. well. And, I know. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. Angela, yeah. you know, and, and <laughs> yeah. But uh, a lot of them don't, don't make it, and I, I think it's really sad that patients are going to therapists, and, the, you know, the joke in The New Yorker is that therapists are all pretty neurotic, and the fact is they are. And and it's and you may really get someone who who isn't is isn't very very skillful. There was a study by Hans Stroop, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't remember where he was from, but some you know the Stroop test. That's all I can think when you say Stroop. Stroop. I, think I, I don't know, test. but they did a study in IMH of psychoanalysts in Atlanta, Georgia. I think. Do you know this study? Or mm-hmm. and uh, they they had tape recordings of five years of psychoanalytic therapy from hundreds of patients from dozens of psychoanalysts and they had some primary goal of of the study which was published but then again we were talking about secondary analyses they 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 then decided to listen to all those audios which must have been so many graduate students and mark each time a patient said something critical to to the analyst to see what would happen and, and then to evaluate how the mm-hmm. analyst uh, responded. And they concluded, and I can kind of quote it, uh, they, they said the, uh, that there were many of the failures in the therapeutic alliance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that they said the amazing thing was that the main deterrent from, from, to the development of, of a, a warm and compassionate therapeutic relationship was was not the patient's dysfunctional behaviors, but the psychoanalyst's. And they said that there was not one occasion in the entire five years and the thousands of hours of therapy where a psychoanalyst, even on one occasion, responded in a minimally adequate way. And they said and said they would put the patient down and and interpret it as as some Error the patient was making, or some problem in the patient's childhood, or, or some, yeah, yeah, some, yeah. some, some flaw, some come across in, in a patronizing way, and they said that the, the, they didn't know that this was true of psychoanalysts or mm-hmm. something about Atlanta, Georgia. They they didn't know, but to me, that's what happens not to all therapists of all persuasions and all human beings, mm-hmm. re- really all around the world that. You know, people get get defensive when, when when criticized, and they don't want to hear. They don't want to yeah. listen. Don't want to disarm. Don't want to see things through the eyes of the other person. I don't know why I'm babbling like that, but it's, <laughs> but I think yeah. it's it's genuinely it bothers me a lot, and I don't know the solution to it. I'm I'm trying to do my best to develop new and better forms of therapy and and new and better training methods, but it's. It, it's it's not easy, uh, and you probably know the problems with a lot of the psychopharmacologic agents. I was full-time psychopharmacology too before I went into psychotherapy, and I was doing brain research, and, uh, uh, and there's a lot of problems there with uh, mm-hmm. overselling drugs and drugs that don't do what they're supposed to do, and but it's also it's equally true of psychotherapy that the most most therapists aren't having more than a, a placebo effect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you, and you know why? I mean, you can you can see it. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. I, I was just saying. I think what Anna, when I hear what 
I'm listening to you, and I think what what was really happening when you when you say, "Oh, I get you," and things like that. I think there's a balance between having empathy and feeling heard, and then when you're ready to yeah. do some work and kind of coming in with that intention that we're going to do work when yeah. you're ready. I think that's kind of where you, am I right? I mean, Absolutely. I and I think that helps that empathy that helps you actually be ready to do the work. Mm-hmm. The boss just informed me that we've been oh. going 47 oh. minutes okay. and have to stop. And okay. so we, we always want to stop with a fantastic inspirational statement. Mm. And so uh, Rhonda will now make such a statement. Well, it sounds like the interplay between the two of you has just been amazing, that you received, you know, the kind of empathy that you needed from the incredibly skilled and talented and beautiful Lorraine Wong, and because you received that empathy from her, that real empathy, that you had the the freedom and the safety to find the motivation Mm -hmm. and do really difficult work in Mm -hmm. many areas of your life, depression, relationships, and your, you know, habits and addictions, and, you know, just looking at you... You know, you're just beaming right now talking about it. And I feel so proud of um, Lorraine and just, you know, the entire team, CBT community, and the method that David's created. Yeah, I know. truly is CBT on, on steroids. And I personally have been surprised with how it really, truly has got me unstuck yeah. and the speed. And, um, you know, getting back to just an earlier comment, you said, I think we have the propensity, particularly as Americans, to find a pill to pop to solve our problems. Yeah. And for that, this is, was really refreshing to be able to um, come to a good frame of, 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 of mind to be able to do the important work. Yeah. And as a nerdy scientist, I love the testing before and after because you can see immediate results. Um, yes, exactly. So, it seems kind and, of obvious, and, you know, doesn't and, it? You know, so, but, but yeah, so lots of really good things. Um, so keep on doing what you're doing, and thank you very, very much. Thank, thank you, you for thank so much you. for thank you. bringing us this great Anna gift. For coming and the rain. Oh, for thank you. you. I'm Thanks honored, so and thank you for Team CBT. It's yeah. changed everything for my practice. Oh, and quick commercial. Uh, and I'll make it really quick. Number one, promote the podcast to your friends and things like that, if uh, because that we need help in marketing because we're not marketing geniuses. And then also, I've got two upcoming workshops. One will be in Atlanta, November four to seven. It's an intensive, and the intensive in Calgary this summer and uh, San Francisco this summer were the highest rated ever in twenty five years. And Lorraine, you were there, and Rhonda was there, and it was just incredible. I hope the Atlanta one will be as good. And then I'm doing a one day with my fantastic colleague, Dr. Jill Levitt, on October 6th, uh, 2019, on advanced empathy techniques for connecting with challenging patients, colleagues, friends, and loved ones. And so if you go to my website, my workshop tab at feelinggood.com, hit the workshop tab, and then you'll get all the registration and, and uh, details. So hope, hope to see you at one of the upcoming workshops. Definitely go if you can. It's well worth it. Thank you. It's always life-changing. So if you can make it, go. Thanks. Thank you, everyone. See you next time. This has been another episode of the Feeling Good Podcast. For more information, visit Dr. Burns' website at feelinggood.com, where you will find the show notes for this episode under the podcast page. You will also find archives of previous episodes and many resources for therapists and non-therapists. We welcome your comments and questions. If you want to support the show, please share the podcast with people who might benefit from it. You could also go to iTunes and leave a five-star rating. 
The theme music is Gypsy Jazz in Paris, 1935, composed and performed by Brett Van Donsel. I am your host, Rhonda Borowski. We hope you enjoyed this episode. I invite you to join us next time for another episode of the Feeling Good Podcast. Thank you.